but we're not big budgeters, but we are big network trackers, or at least I am. I can fit network. Uh, I check it once a month. Because, again, I just like to see where we're going. It's been a big thing for me. The network thing has been huge for me because there's been, back when we first started this journey, I didn't have a network template, if you will. And I would always wonder, like, are we moving up? Are we moving down? I don't really know. I feel like I'm just kind of treading water. But then when the network template came around, now I can say, okay, we, we went up, we went down. I, I can see where we're going well, not well, something like that. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 245. This week we've got a wonderful episode. We have Alan. He's in his mid-40s. He's a therapist working in administration now and his wife is a nurse. His net worth hovering around $1 million depending on the market fluctuations. Mostly between real estate with a couple of rentals and personal residence and then some stocks and equities. One really unique thing we discussed with him is, is doing a Roth conversion ladder. In fact, he already has, has kind of started this even though well away from, from years of retirement. So, real interesting topic we get into to discussion with him and doing that, paying the tax now versus later and his kind of mindset around that. We also talk about you know his desire to, to get to a different level of net worth and how he thinks about that. Really, really good episode uh, with Alan. Super excited for that this week. Last week, we had Adam. He worked in health insurance, been with the same employer since he graduated college. He's up in his upper 40s and net worth was around $7 million. So, if you're interested in that, go check out that episode. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Alan. Alan, you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. So me and my wife, uh, we were married in 2002, and I call the 2000s like our wandering years. We um, we were going through college. Uh, she finished up her bachelor's degree. I went to the master's degree. After that, we did uh, humanitarian work over in Africa for a bit. Uh, I got licensed as a therapist, and then we made our way back to uh, the U.S. around 2010. Um, born and raised here in Florida. Uh, we were over in Orlando, moved to then, and been here for the last 10 years. Working, you know, my wife is a uh, registered nurse with a local hospital, and I I was doing uh, direct care and therapy, and as over the last year, I've recently moved into upper uh, administration um, as a therapist. Awesome! And what is your net worth today? So it's uh, roughly around. It's probably actually a little under a million. Last month it was a little over a million, so we're teetering right around that million market. The uh, market would get attacked together. I'd be back over a million. Nice. And how is that broken up and divided amongst, you know, the different buckets that, that you can allocate it to? Yeah, yeah. So we have a, so our primary, uh, we have about $120,000 in equity. It's worth about four ten. dollars And our rentals, we have about 130 in equity, but they're uh, worth about two hundred. dollars And then we have about thirty dollars in uh, a little vacation property, nothing special. Odds and ends, about forty-five. dollars And then in our 401k, we have about four fifteen. dollars then we have a brokerage account that's about 250 and that's broken. The, the brokerage account 401ks are, are broken into an S&P index, uh, FOCPX. Again, we're all with Fidelity because we can bank with Fidelity as well as invest with Fidelity. And so then we have FOCPX. Which it's a little more aggressive than it's still kind of an index, but it's a little more aggressive than the S&P. And then, the, uh, then we're also invested in the QQQ, which is really just a tech stock. And then, again, a little more. Aggressive. And I guess the reason I'm, I go aggressive instead of, uh, have 
more of bonds. And again, I don't, everyone's different, right? It's personal finance because it's personal is because I don't really have a, a stopping point to retire. You know, I mean, I guess if someday that, that happens, that happens, but longevity continues to occur. And, and if you, I'm 45, my wife is 40. And if the statistics right now say that if you reach 60, you have a 50 50 shot of making it to 90. So I just kind of think that bonds not, might not get me there. So. And I'm okay with the risk, uh, you know, of doing that. And, and I believe in us as a couple that our jobs are going to be there, you know, so I'm okay being a little more aggressive and just being completely in, in stocks uh, or, or index funds, if you will, and then rentals. Okay. And if you're looking at your allocation and those that are in the market, how much of that is basically tax protected in your retirement accounts or, or tax advantaged, I, I should say? Yeah, so we have, I don't have it completely broken up, but in the 401ks, it's roughly uh, a 415,000. I would say probably half of that is uh, in Roth and half of that is in a 401k. And that's a traditional actually, 401k? Actually, yeah, actually it's probably two thirds to one third. It's probably two thirds in the 401k and one third in Roth, yeah. And the Roth you did outside of your 401k or was it, do you have a Roth option at your employers? No, that's completely outside. And then as the market drops at about 20%, I kind of figured out what I needed to do and then rolled over some of the uh, IRAs into the Roth to, to get that you know 20% kind of uh, gain did come back. Interesting. So you essentially paid the taxes on rolling some of that over, correct? I did, yep. yep. Why, why did you choose to do that? It's something that's, you know, a lot of people, whether they're making that Roth conversion ladder later in life, it's usually something we, we see when people aren't you know, in your situation and potentially your peak earning years. So walk us through why you did that and, and maybe kind of explain to our listeners, you know, the mechanics of that. Sure. So the market dropped by 30%. And then a buddy of mine is a CFP and he posted something on social media about, you know, hey, now's a great time. And I was like, it was just a no brainer for me. I, it, I guess it's for me like like 1031 exchanges in real estate. We can get into our, my real estate or our real estate portfolio. It's just, I don't mind paying the taxes on it because I got to pay it at some point. And then it's just too much mental gymnastics for me to figure out the right time to do it, whether it's at 45 or 55 or 70s, you know, what to completely optimize everything. It's just a little too many mental gymnastics for me. So the market dropped by 30% at when it was still 20% down. I transferred over and again, I didn't really even think about like a, a figure. It was just kind of like, I think I transferred over $18,000. I don't even know how I came up with that number. It was just a, a number that I transferred over and I said, cool, I'm, I'm good. And it was really like, okay, I, I think that's what I did. I think I figured out, okay, I, okay, based on our tax rate, blah, 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 I'm going to have to pay a couple thousand dollars. I think we will have that, you know, in cash reserves at the end of the day. And I think that's how I figured it out. I was comfortable with that. So I just transferred it over. I'm okay paying the tax now. Probably, I mean, I've listened to a lot of podcasts on when would not be a good time to do that. So I think if maybe I was 60, I don't think I would have done that. But at 45, I think I have plenty of time to make that, uh, to make up those taxes that I paid on that 18,000. Did you pay that tax with cash out of, out of your savings or, or checking or did you use some of the funds you rolled over to it? No, cash. Yeah, we're actually about to pay our tax bill for the year. Yeah, we just paid it actually this week, right? So yeah, uh, just cash out of the out of our cash account. So then, when did the real estate start, Alan? So it's really interesting. So we started out with Dave Ramsey, right? Listen to Dave Ramsey, and I remember listening to Dave Ramsey for a long time. And uh, somewhere along the way, and I can't remember what it was that actually got us or got me on hooked on it. But then I started listening 
we're reading, you know, Mr. Money Mustache and Paul of Pan and Choose FI. And then that kind of started and going down that rabbit trail and seeing what that's all about. I really liked it. And then I think just in that process, right, you have a lot of people in the, in the fire movement that are into real estate. And so then I kind of got hooked on bigger pockets and bigger pockets was something for me that was, it's been, um, somewhat of a journey for me trying to, uh, figure that out, you know, and then at some point, I think I just jumped. It was, you know, like, I'm not going to learn any more listening to hour long podcasts and I just have to jump or, and, and we, I say I, but it's really me and my wife. So we, we just jumped. And I think we're about a year and a half into real estate right now on a duplex and two condos and I'm ready to buy another one. And, and honestly, the real estate piece is, is wanting, I'm wanting to change that up in, in our strategy. We were going for cash flow and I think cash flow is fine. And, and again, I'm not here to judge if you want cash flow is great, but I, I I was listening to someone, I actually went back and listened to some bigger pockets podcasts and someone talking about real estate and, and cash flow is a nice way to get started, get your feet wet, but appreciation really builds wealth. And that's what I'm looking for right now is appreciation. You know, the other, I was looking at my duplex appreciated the other day at $10,000 and I did absolutely nothing for that duplex to appreciate $10,000. Uh, just I saw like, oh, it went up from, you know, the original amount to $10,000 more. And I was like, Oh, that's nice, you know. And so, what if we had instead of uh, I think our, our duplexes is worth about one fifty right now. So, but what if we had a three hundred thousand dollars property and it went up ten percent? And those numbers right now are very realistic for what's happening. And really, in the Florida real estate market right now, yeah, um, it's it's going up like crazy here in Florida. Yeah. So, were you opposed to real estate earlier? Uh, meaning, I don't think I, meaning like, oh, did you ever think you weren't going to be in in real estate, or did you? I mean, I'm just asking because we received a message maybe last week where somebody said, hey, I just want to thank, you know, the millionaires that have come on and shared about their journey getting started into real estate because I never knew that I could really do that and get to where I did. And now I own a few rental properties. And it's very similar to your story where I feel like he got into real estate in his 40s, late 30s, 40s, and, you know, started buying a couple of rentals and then it started going really well for him. So, I just kind of want to dig into your story here because I think you're a perfect one to talk about of somebody that had a lot of money in the markets or most of their money in the markets, the majority of their money. And then they said, hey, I'm going to start dabbling in real estate, too. Yeah. You know, I think it's a case of what you you know, you don't know. I I didn't know even real estate was an option until I started listening to bigger pockets and then just started diving in and getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. And then just realizing like, oh, we, we can do real estate. That's it's just systems. We just have to set up systems and that's not that hard if you just kind of sit down and do it one day. And that's what we did. Uh, we just set up systems. And I, again, growing up here in Florida, my wife's from uh, Pennsylvania, but growing up here in Florida, I know the markets pretty well. I know the little towns that do really well and the little towns that don't do really well. And so we've invested in a little town that's mostly retirees. Well, you know, retirees have a fixed income coming in. And so there's really a cap on what they can and can't pay. And so we just invested not in a 55 and ever community, but just in a retirement community that pays seven, eight hundred, $900 a month. And they pay, they, they set their little plants out on the door and they pay every, every month. It's not an issue at all. So I think it was just more of just like, Oh, okay. We, we can do that. And I think it was just listening to about probably to about two years. It takes a while to get into my head, but about two years of bigger pockets. They're like, okay, we can do this. Yeah, and I, I want to get into how you started financially and how much debt, but let's just keep rolling with this real estate here because now we, we've started down this track. So how did this first deal, the very first thing what in real estate, how did it come to be? Where did you find it? 
Tell us about that first deal you did. You know, so it's so funny. I listen to Bigger Pockets. I still listen to Bigger Pockets. I find it really uh, motivating. But Bigger Pockets, as you might see a theme running here, I'm, I'm not big on like making it complicated. Like I'm big on the you know keep a simple, stupid pro, you know process. I found it on the MLS, and I did the quick math, the back of the napkin math, and you know I think the property it was listed for 130. I found it. I went and talked to the guy and I think we could talk him down to 123 with concessions and stuff like that. I think we paid 123 for it. And, and that was that. That was the deal. It was, it was a, you know, it was good. There were some, some things that needed to be fixed up that I think the, the owner, pre, previously owner just wanted out. I think he had had a few properties. The property wasn't in the, it wasn't great. It was, it was more of a, you know, flooring paint job kind of property. So we just went in there. Uh, and I think the day of, we inherited two tenants. One is still there. One is not still there. Uh, the one who is not still there was an interesting, he, he was fun to deal with, right? You know, uh, you, you got to lower your expectations a little bit. He was fun to deal with. I think along the process, what we realized is that we're not, I don't really want to do, take my time up being a landlord. So we have, we were landlords for a while, had all the stuff coming into us. And then um, shifted that over to a property manager. I'm not really sure that if we ever became landlords of, let's say, a, a $300,000 property as opposed to a $150,000 duplex, would it be any different? Not really sure. We're going to find that out here shortly, I, I hope, as, as we kind of, kind of save up a little more for a down payment. But that was it. And then... So that, then was, a kinda, du- that was a duplex, that first one? That was, yeah, that was a duplex. And yeah. the MLS, you're talking like Zillow? Yeah. Yeah, Realtor.com. Realtor.com. Yeah. Okay. And, and really, even since that point, there's been probably five other duplexes in that similar area. And we're not talking about like in really in the really lower socioeconomic neighborhoods. We're talking about C plus, C, C plus kind of uh, property. It's not bad. You know, there's other properties around it that pop up every now and then. And then since that point, there's probably been about five properties that if I'd have had the money, I would probably have popped down 25% and rolled on those two. Just didn't have the money at the time. Um, so you said it came with two renters. I, I assume yeah. that means one per each side, right? Yeah. Did, you, yeah. did you worry that if they were to move out, I don't know where it is, but did you worry that you couldn't find quality good renters? Was that a concern at all? Not a concern a, a bit. And where it's located, Why? where it's located in Florida, again, it's a it's a retiree community. Uh, workforce housing down there is a big need. So even if it did get a retiree, I'm sure I could find some workforce housing people. And then so the one gentleman that moved out, uh, we actually found workforce housing. So uh, a Latino couple moved in, and they've been fantastic since then. It's actually the one runner that's still there that she is. Uh, she's super special. So probably sometime here this year, I think her, her lease runs out sometime this year and I'll probably do some real estate gymnastics to, uh, to get her out. She's just, she's, uh, she's been a difficult tenant. She pays every month, but she makes you know that she pays every month. So it's just, <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's like I paid and I need my screen repaired. I paid and the faucet's leaking. I paid, you know, so I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. So we're probably going to do something about that this year to so get around. So you buy that for, I believe you said 123, right? Yep. Yep. So, okay. So you're 130-ish all in after closing costs and everything? Yeah, some of that. Yep. Okay. And right. how much did you put down and how much did it rent for or how much do you cash uh, now? Sure. Yeah. So we put down uh, 25%. I think I think we ended up with about a $91,000 mortgage on that property and it rent it, at the time. 
At the time, one renter was paying seven hundred. That was the renter that moved out. The other renter was paying five fifty. She is paying five. She was paying five fifty because the old landlord did not want her, didn't want to upgrade the property at all. So he would just kept on. He just kept the rent super low. Uh, and now, you know, we have since again the gentleman's moved out. That rent's gone up to seven seventy five. Her rent went from five fifty the day of I bought it. We bought it, and I and I pushed it up to seven hundred. But those rents in that duplex can can get to nine hundred. So over over this next year, they will get pushed up to eight fifty nine hundred. I'm not a big proponent of trying to get the most I can get out of a property. I'd rather get a little bit less and just have the tenants be really thankful that they're paying a little bit less and keep them in, as opposed to trying to get the most out of the property. So roughly, what do these cash flow to you? Yeah, yeah. So our monthly nut on that more on that duplex is uh seven fifty, and you know we're we're getting fifteen hundred right now a month out of that. I mean that's gross. You know my so yeah. When you, what do you net down? Base. I mean, is it hundred two hundred dollars a door basically, or is it a little bit more than that? It's three hundred, three to four hundred dollars a door, and when we up it a little bit more, it'll be a it'll be a almost almost four hundred dollars a door. That's awesome. Yeah. So you've got couple grand coming in roughly net when yeah. it's all said and done and then and then we have two per, per yeah we have two condos yeah yeah the two condos are really are really super simple um they're not great they're not like big money makers but they're super simple um we probably get five thousand dollars a year net off of the condos yeah but it's just they're they're easy maintenance um super simple and you don't outsource any of the the management for those Sure. Yeah, all all of it's outsourced now. Oh, all of it, and you still have cash flow of three to four hundred. Yeah, and our property manager, she does something interesting where she basically takes eight percent across the board. So whether it's uh, the first and last, she'll take eight percent of that. What you know, eight percent of the rent. She just takes eight percent across the board, eight percent of everything. She so she doesn't take. I know some property managers will take the, the you know the first and and the security deposit or first and last or something like that. They'll just take it as their kind of fee for finding the the tenant. Ours just takes eight percent of everything, and I kind of like that honestly because it, it it doesn't incentivize the property manager to to turn over the property every time. Eight percent, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, interesting. So, on where do you go from here? You've got this this little rental portfolio. You've got a million dollar net worth. You've got a long runway in a lot of ways in front of you. Do you have target net worth? Target where you're heading five, ten years down the road, or is it just keep plugging away and 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 kind of getting rid of some of these paradigms you had in the past? And you shared with us a little bit that you never thought you'd own properties, and here you are with five of them. Yeah, I, I was sharing on the on the uh, Choose a Five uh, Facebook forum and about. My goal, which is right now 12 million. And people were like 12, 12 million, right? It's such an arbitrary number. Why 12 million? And I think it's because I kept on telling myself like that 1 million wasn't possible. And I was like, okay, I, I got 1 million down. Let's go to two. And I, you know, and then listening to, to Millionaires Unveiled and other books and podcasts that, right, it's going to speed up. It took us 10 years to get to 1 million. And coming into 2010, I thought about it. We only had $30,000 invested come 2010. So it's the bulk of this million has come over, over the 10 years. You know, we've been lucky uh, with a little bit of the, uh, the real estate. You know, we bought back in 2011, a short sale. So we've been a little lucky in real estate, but you know, one million turned will turn into two quicker than one. And then, so I'm like, okay, well, two's too short side. Let's go to five. And I'm like, well, okay, let's not, let's not do five. Let's just do 12. 
And it's just, we, I, again, I just think I keep setting our sights a little too close. And I'm like, let's just, let's go train big and put it out at 12. And I don't, if we ever reach 12, that's great. And if we don't, that's fine too. If we reach a hundred million, I, okay, that's fine too. For me right now, it's just more about that process of learning about more about me and, and us as a couple and trying to figure out, you know, where do we go from here? I, again, I don't know. You know, I tell my wife all, all the time that, you know, my wife grew up pretty poor. I grew up probably middle class and I'm a, we were, we were, did, did humanitarian work abroad in Africa. So for us living on $30,000 a year, which is not, we live on about 60 a year right now, but living on 30 a year, that's okay. So I don't need 12, but if we can get to 12, that's cool. So it, it's really just a process. So it's, it's a journey right now to figure out, you know, how, how far can we make ourselves grow? Do you plan on potentially, I mean, if you reach that number, would you retire early? I, you know, I would read this. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, no. The job I have right now in administration is the most fun I've had in a job in a long, long time. I, you know, it's tiring some days and I'm stretched some days, but I'm having the most fun right now. And I look at these guys in my field, older you get, the more money you make as opposed to something my, you know, I know some people in sales where they make the most money, like in their thirties and forties and my field kind of come into your own in the, in your fifties. And I say that to say that I'm good working. I was recently, I'm reading a book, me and my wife are reading it together actually, uh, called the wealthy gardener. And that book has been really, uh, it's a parable kind of book. And, and it's really been life changing to me because uh, the guy in the book talks about thinking about your, your work as a friend, right? It really talks about work and exercise as your friend. And I think a lot of times, especially for guys, you know, we call it a day at, at 59 or 62 or 65 or whatever. And then boom, we're retired. We're in the RV traveling all the time. And that sounds really fun. I love to travel. I'm kind of bummed. I haven't been able to do that. I really would like to get back to Costa Rica, but I don't know what I would really do with myself if I had three months off or, or I mean, or, or six months off or a year. I think I'd get bored pretty quickly and <laughs> I'd have to go find myself something to do. So I don't know how long I'll be working kind of in corporate America, but I do have this number in my head at 60. I'll at least have it a, a choice at that point. It's going to be in my head like, okay, Alan, there's a choice now at 60. You can keep doing what you want to do, or you can just, uh, you know, go do, go find something else to do. And I don't know what I'll do about that. I, there are some things in the mental health world that I'd really like to explore that I've really become kind of jazzed about lately. That uh, I'd really like to go kind of dabble in a little bit and figure it out, but um, but so 60 is the number. But again, I don't see myself retiring at 60. <laughs> I'd really like to continue to build the the rental portfolio if that's a thing. I've had a, had a mind to do entrepreneur and get into some kind of business. Again, I don't know what that is, but it's just a process of trying to stretch myself and or us trying to stretch us. All right, let's take a quick break from the show and thank Gusto for sponsoring today's episode. A lot of people dream of having their own business, but by having their own business, that also means running their own business. If you're living your entrepreneurial dream, but struggling with the tedious administrative tasks, whether it be HR, payroll, employee benefits, or anything else, let Gusto help. Gusto offers all-in-one payroll and HR for growing businesses. From full-service payroll and benefits to team management tools and more, Gusto makes it easy to support your hardworking team in one intuitive platform. Whether your team is in-person, remote, or a combination of both, with Gusto keeping your team on track is easy. So join the more than 200,000 new and growing businesses that are using Gusto 
to build a great workplace for their employees. Right now, Gusto is offering our listeners three months free at gusto.com slash unveiled. That's Gusto, G-U-S-T-O. Get easy payroll, benefits, HR, and a happier team. So go to gusto.com slash unveiled for your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unveiled. So thanks to Gusto for sponsoring today's show. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing and thanks for being so honest with it. So, Wealthy Gardener John, he was on episode 145. Do you know that? Oh, right. Oh, no, no, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we've had him on episode 145. So, you, I'm just going to piggyback here off Jace's question about where you go from here and the goal and 12 million. So, you cash flow, if you're saying $400 a door, you got four properties, four rental properties, right? Mm-hmm. And your personal residence, the, the duplex, and then two, are they single family? The, the duplex and then uh, the condos, yeah. And then, yeah. And then us. Yeah. Okay. So, so sixteen hundred a month, which is roughly twenty thousand a year. Yep. So, and you say you could live on thirty right now. You live on sixty a year. So, do you say okay, I'm I'm going to start withdrawing on some of these market investments, or is the goal to add to these rentals and get a little closer to the sixty? It's closer to the sixty. You know, I I listen to the Choose That Five Choose That Five podcast, and they have all these lean five, fat five, this five, that five. I kind of look at it as like I got Costa Rica five right now. So I got Costa Rica five. Like if I wanted to sell it all, and I could, I could just sell well minus the four one ks, right? But the other than that, I could just uh, sell it all, move to Costa Rica, and and live on two three thousand dollars a year because I not selling the four one ks, you know. But so that would put us at like on the four percent rule, that put us at two to three thousand dollars. In addition, that then then the rentals, right? So that would bump that up a little bit. So thirty-five, four. I, I so I call it Costa Rica Buy I got Costa Rica Buy, or I got a sailboat Buy, <laughs> or I got or I got like sailboat Buy right now, right? Uh, how leveraged are these? What's uh, the rentals? Yeah. So two of the, the both the condos are paid off, but that sounds really um, you know inflated. The condos are you're gonna you guys are gonna laugh. The condos are uh, I paid twenty-five thousand for one condo and thirty for one, thirty for the other, uh, and it's really tough to kind of dial it in like per month net on those it's really just better to look at it per year so probably again we net probably six thousand dollars a year on both of those again it's small money you know we, we didn't risk a lot so it would get a lot those are paid off we just paid cash for those but that's probably it but i don't again i don't really see myself quitting anytime soon it's really i'd rather i listen to people who have kind of quote unquote fat pie and i'd rather get to that number and live retirement well than to try and frugalize it or you know do the point savings on the credit card and i love the point savings on the credit card but try to do all these kind of little gymnastics to figure out the most optimal way to do life yeah let's go back i mentioned we're going to go back to your story here at the beginning and and you mentioned to jace that your wife grew up poor you grew up middle class right i believe do i have that right yep how, how did that affect you and how, how did that affect your mindset growing up? And, and then as you got older and started saving money, did you have to kind of switch some of your thinking or what effect it's, did that have on you? It's so interesting you say that because I have some notes written down there as I was going over the questions today. And my, uh, I got, I have two big money influences in my life. And the first is my grandpa. My grandpa grew up in the war, you know, World War II generation. He was born in the 1920s. Uh, he was a great depression guy. And my grandpa probably never made more than $40,000 in his life, worked on the railroad for 33 years, and he almost died a millionaire. And, uh, but, you know, in his, late in his life, you guys might find this funny, late in his life, he recently died last year. He was 97. Great life. And, sorry to hear. Uh, no, it, no, don't be sorry. He lived in, he lived in 97. 
lived a great life. I, if I can live half the life that he lived, I'm, I'm good. And late in his life, about a year before he died, he went to the hospital. He'd never been to the hospital before. He went to the hospital. And so my uncle went through some of his belongings just to make sure when home health came in, that nothing disappeared. And he opened one of his drawers and there were shoelaces in there, like a drawer full of shoelaces. And that was my grandpa to a He nickel and dime anything he could nickel and dime. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, he, he would patch things. I mean, he, his shirts looked like they, you know, they were about to like fall apart, held together by one thread. And he was always about saving and thrifty. He probably never had, in his retirement years, him and my, my grandma probably never, never more than $24,000 coming in a year. And he probably saved half of that. Uh, um, he was just super frugal with his money. And so juxtaposed to my dad, who didn't do great. I mean, you know, he made 50 to 100 a year, give or take, any given year. But my dad could never let a dollar sit lonely in his pocket. It was always gone. He always needed the latest gadget, the latest this. And I look at my dad as someone who could have been, right? He could have been so much more financially, but he grew up super poor. Uh, and, and it was just gone. Everything was just gone. As soon as it got it in, it was gone. And whereas my grandpa didn't really have much and he amassed almost a million before he died. So I, I try to like juxtapose those as I, as I go through my life. And I, you know, there's so much that I, I can learn from both people. Has it been hard? Yeah, thanks for sharing. Has it been hard to flip a switch on spending? Uh, as you think about that and maybe the way you've lived to be before you became a millionaire, do you feel like you're spending more than you have before? No, no. I, you know, I told my wife that I, I, I emailed up because I'm, I'm, again, maybe I'm, I'm like, other millionaires, maybe I'm not, but I don't, we really don't do a budget so much. We used to, we used to be big budgeters. Occasionally we'll revisit it when I feel like our, our spending is going a little sideways, like just to figure out where it's going. Um, but we're not big budgeters, but we are big network trackers, or at least I am. I could fit network. Uh, I check it once a month. Just, Cause again, I just like to see where we're going. It's been a big thing for me. The network thing has been huge for me because there's been back when we first started this journey, I didn't have a network template, if you will. And I would always wonder, like, are we moving up? Are we moving down? I don't really know. I feel like I'm just kind of treading water. But then when the network budget or network kind of uh, template came around, now I can say, okay, we, we went up, we went down. I, I can see where we're going well, not well, stuff like that. How so do you track really, that? How do you track that, Alan? Uh, just on an Excel spreadsheet, old school Excel spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, it, it, right now, it dates all the way back to 2016, maybe even 15, that where I, the way I I track it. So it's just every month. And then I'll, I'll pull it either directly off Fidelity. Sometimes I'll play around personal capital. I'm not super happy with personal capital. It's it, it's good until it doesn't work. And then I feel like I spend 30 minutes trying to get it to work. I'm like, I could have just gone on Fidelity and just got right. the number by then. But, How often uh, do you update it? Monthly? <clears throat> quarterly? Monthly. Yep. Okay. Monthly. Yep. But I don't so feel like we years? spend... How many years? Oh. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're fine. How many years back do you have it? 2016. Sometimes I get really ambitious and try to think like, uh, oh, we, we need to track paychecks in there. That'd be interesting to track. Cause I'm a, I'm a big data geek guy in my job. I love data, but then I really, oh, that would take a lot of time to figure out those paychecks. Okay. That, I don't have that much time. So then I just go back to what I can figure out really quickly. But, but no, we don't really spend much more than we normally spend now that we've hit a millionaire. It's just, it's almost ingrained in us, you know, and, and I really would like, think that it's a great news from a long time ago rather than just since 2010 since we've gone on this this track so let me ask you alan about mental health because you, you worked in mental health and yep. and 
how does that and personal finance and money connect? It's you, huge. Do you find that people, and I'm just totally thinking out loud here, do you find that people who are more financially stable have better mental health? Is it is there a correlation at all? I think there's definitely a correlation. Uh, you know, I have a I, I have a few friends who, again, let's set finance aside, who are into physical health. You know, like they or, or they want to be right. They want to be into physical health, and they do it for a couple weeks, and then they're off the bandwagon. And then they do it for a couple weeks, and then they're off the bandwagon, and they keep on doing this thing back and forth. And I feel like that's what some people do with personal finance. And again, I'm not here to judge, right? You know, you do you do you, but I, but I feel like sometimes people that struggle with uh, mental health, they, they have a difficult they have a difficult time because whether it's anxiety or depression or bipolar, uh, and, and or God forbid like schizophrenia stuff like that, it's it's really difficult, right? You know, to kind of get your brain around what it takes to do this day to day. Yeah, I think they're I think they're completely connected. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I'm just I'm just curious. I don't think that's something we talked about before on the show. And then believing in yourself, I just want to hit on that. That's something we talked about briefly before recording. You mentioned that, you know, you thought, hey, maybe I couldn't get there or you had, I don't know if it's fair to say you had limiting beliefs, is it? But now you feel like you just kind of take it by the flow. You, you, you have a net worth goal of 12, but it's kind of like, hey, I can get there or wherever. You know, why do I have to stop at one or two? Just curious to, to hear your thoughts on that. No, I, I, again, again, my wife and I are, are, are kind of just generally frugal. <laughs> I mean, we're not like the uh, like the frugal woods, right? Where and again, nothing against the frugal. We're not we're not out there, uh, you know, <laughs> retirement extreme, you know, washing our clothes by hand with soap. But we're just kind of naturally frugal. Uh, we might, you know, like oh, Burger King's having a, a two for five or something. We might run down and grab that or something like that. But you know, just kind of going back to that lowest common denominator. And it, I don't know why I never saw it. It's like we both have very good degrees, and we're both kind of really good at what we do so why is it why is it not possible to go further and that again that's that no you're you're absolutely correct it's that limiting mindset like just open up and be willing to take a chance be willing to fail um it's okay uh, you know um it's not the end of the world i mean i mean recently we haven't talked about it but i invested in, in a little bit of crypto like six thousand dollars put six thousand dollars in crypto part of it was just as you know i guess the big part for me was like just trying to figure out cryptos and blockchain technology, right? Is it going to be something or is it just all hype? And I'm still, I'm sure like a bunch of people are still trying to figure it out. But I'm like, I got $6,000 in there. If it goes to zero tomorrow, is my net worth really taking a hit? No, not really. It's okay. I took a chance. I tried to figure out blockchain technology. It went to zero. It's okay. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, it's not hurt. So it's just kind of testing those limits and being willing to experiment. Um, and that's something I'm a, I'm a big like experimenter and just being willing to experiment with things and figuring out did they, did they work or did they not work? Okay. If they, they work cool. I'll do more of that. If they didn't work, okay. Maybe, uh, I'll, I'll evaluate and figure out that I do something wrong. And if I didn't do anything wrong, then I'll just move on and figure out, okay, that didn't work. And then we just move on. Yeah. I do that in my, I do that in my job all the time with relationships in my job. I'll, I'll try something out with somebody and be like, you know, again, it's low risk. It's not like super high risk. Like I'm putting someone's, I'm, I'm, you know, endangering somebody or something like that. Let me try this with the, with the staff and let's, let's see if that works. And if that didn't work, okay, then I move on and I try something else with that staff member until I get it right. Did, did you worry 10, 20 years ago about money? Hey, I'm not going to have enough. Hey, I'm going to have to work too long. Hey, I, I should be saving super aggressively or living super frugally. You know, my grandpa would always try and like when we were going to college, he would give us, he had no idea about college. 
And he was always a big guy about pencil pushers. That's what he called. He, that's what he called it, pencil pushers. And, you know, I think he might roll over his grave right now that knowing that I'm a pencil pusher right now. But, um, that was his big thing. Pencil pusher. But he would always give us like 50 bucks. And I would always chuckle because 50 bucks was never enough to get us through college. Um, I think uh, I came out with about $25,000 in debt in college between my undergrad and grad and my wife came out about five. But I don't know that I ever even thought that far in advance. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to work till I'm 85. It just never was a thought to me. It was just like, okay, it was just paycheck to paycheck. And that, and then once we, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I ever really thought about it. Like, you know, like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to have to work until I'm a hundred. It just never was anything. It was just like, okay, we'll just work. Well, good stuff. Let's, uh, let's wrap up some rapid fire questions and then we'll get into a little bit, uh, uh, final advice. So what's the most expensive pair of shoes you've ever purchased? $100. And I buy Cole Haan. And, I'm, and the reason I buy Cole Haan shoes is that there's been studies done. This is, again, this is just, uh, maybe it's just us millionaires. There's been studies done that say Cole Haan shoes last, bang for buck. They last the longest. So I go buy Cole Haan shoes and they, they do. They last me about five years. The dress shoes for work and they last me about five years. And then you can actually send them back into Cole Haan and they'll, they'll actually completely refurbish them. For like a hundred bucks, just in the back of you if you want them back. I would have done before as well. So yeah, about a hundred bucks. Nice. I think Alan Edmonds is is like that too. What's oh, yeah. the What's the most expensive pair of pants you've ever purchased? Yeah, probably fifty bucks. Okay. What about the most expensive car? Mm, we back in 2012, we spent sixteen thousand dollars on my wife's uh, Subaru Outback. And again, Subaru Outback because I can get probably three hundred thousand miles out of it. Okay. What about ex- most expensive meal out? Uh, probably about $500. And that was probably for like me and my wife and maybe another couple. Okay. What, uh, how much time do you spend watching TV a week? It's funny. It, it varies, but I don't know. It depends. Like when football's on, again, growing up here in the South, football's big. So, you know, college football, pro football, when it's on, probably a bit more. But when it's not happening, I, I don't know, five to, I don't know, probably more than that. Probably eight to ten hours a week. Do you have a favorite show you watch? I've actually gone down the YouTube trail right now. I'm like, you know, it's it's crazy. Yeah, but no, not really. I just kind of bounce around uh, for here or there. And, you know, TV for me is just a way to decompress. It's nothing. I don't, I'm not looking for something riveting um, to really get me engaged. It's really just for me. Before I go to bed, just watch something that's, that's kind of mindless. And then I can just go to sleep. How many books a year do you read? You know, that's fine. I, I was reading more books, but I'm a, I'm a podcast junkie. If you look at my uh, podcast feed on Overcast, it's podcast pocket. You know, it's, um, you know, bigger pockets, choose that by. You guys ever hit here at Millionaires Unveiled? I'll listen to stuff about the Appalachian Trail of the Hike Appalachian Trail one day. You know, uh, This American Life. I, I listen to stuff. Podcasts are my books. Um, I listen every time I jump in the, in my truck, I'm listening to podcasts and learning something. That's where I learn. It's really driving. So over the last year, when I've not been driving as much, it's been kind of a downer for me. I'm not listening to podcasts as much. Okay. And if any favorite podcasts or books out there that you would recommend? The book that I'd recommend right right now, it's I feel like I, I can just listen to it once a year. as a wealthy gardener. Uh, the stuff that's coming out of that kind of terrible uh, story format, it, it just resonates with me so much right now. Uh, I've, I've recommended it to everybody I can talk to. And I'm only in probably a third of the way through the book because I really want to listen to it with my wife. But, yeah, with a wealthy gardener right now. Are there any special items, tangible 
vacations or anything out there that you want to do one day as, as you continue to build wealth or some bucket list items that you haven't done yet? I, I think I, you know, um, I would like to go and hike Mount Kilimanjaro one day. We used to live in Africa a bit and have been to Kenya a few times uh, there in the city in Nairobi, but I would like to get back to, uh, and, and do Mount Kilimanjaro, but that's a, that's about it. No items that you want cars or sports cars or anything like that, or a second home or anything like that. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like it's so, you know, so fleeting sometimes. You think you're, to yourself like, oh, I want that. And then you get that and then you're disappointed in that. One thing I do find interesting sometimes people when they uh, sometimes maybe when they're asked this question, that do, do you value things or experiences? And, and a lot of times people say, well, I value experiences. But a lot of times you need those things to experience those things. Right. You know, and I'm a big I'm a boater. We don't have a boat this year. We sold our boat. We had a pontoon boat last year and sold it. You know, it was just costing a little too much money that I wanted to spend. And so we sold it. But you kind of need a boat to experience things on the water. So uh, I'm, I'm really missing uh, a boat right now. Uh, I'd really like to, you know, talking about things, I'd really like to try and figure out, like, sailing, see if I like sailing at all. So that's probably, that's kind of one of my little pet, pet projects right now is trying to figure out if I like sailing. Nice, nice. So to wrap up here, what would your final piece of advice be to somebody who's just starting out or, or trying to, to get started on their journey? Uh, I, I think the first thing is just get started. You know, uh, a lot of times people are, I, I need I need more information, right? I need more information. I need more information. And uh, just get started. You're going to you're gonna fail, I promise you. It'll happen. That's okay. You'll figure it out. If you disbelieve in yourself, you'll get started. But just get started. That's I think that's the biggest thing. Believe in yourself and just get started. That's awesome. Well, Alan, appreciate you coming on the show. Congrats on your success. It's once again, Alan, the million million dollar net worth coming on here to do his million dollar holla. Thanks for coming on the show today. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.